Hello, I'm Fern Cotton and this is Happy Place, the show that acknowledges both the really exciting and the more difficult parts of life. Today, I'm chatting to Tom O'Dell. I hate the term perfectionist because I feel like it's so often thrown around and I think people use it as kind of like a compliment often or or, or a good quality. But when you're a slightly obsessive character, it can be really quite torturous and You know, I've had moments like at the end of finishing an album, you know, the mixing process, I'll like, I'll kind of lose my mind slightly because I can't, I'll be on like mix 78 and I've changed one thing 78 times and it's just like being able to just let go of it. Tom released his debut EP, Songs for Another Love, in 2012 and in 2013 won the Brit's Critics' Choice Award. Over a decade later, his new album, Black Friday, is the result of a newfound sense of freedom and creative control. He recorded it really simply, just Tom in his studio with his instruments, singing these songs with the same gorgeous authenticity they were written with. Tom came onto the podcast back in 2019 and it's an episode that really stands out because he was going through a really tricky time of very extreme anxiety actually, something that deeply resonated with me, that's for sure. And we talked really openly about it, about his visit to the hospital because of it and his real block with getting on stage, the thing that he loved the most. And it was an episode that really stayed with me. So I was really keen to have a catch up with Tom to see where he was at. It was so lovely to be able to speak to him all these years later because his life has changed a lot. He left his record label. He's got married very recently. And as we chat about, he also pretty much got on top of the physical side of his anxiety and panic. So we connected over anxiety, obviously, but also over perfectionism and being unnecessarily hard on ourselves, as well as feeling safe in work environments, because we understand the rules and it doesn't feel as chaotic as the rest of the world can. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this chat, and I think you're going to love it. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Just a quick one before we get to Tom. You might have noticed there's another Happy Place episode in your feed today. That's one all about addressing the shitty committee in your mind because I know this time of year has the potential to feel a bit rough sometimes. It might not, but it might also do. So if you're in need of some practical tips to boost your mood, head over to at Happy Place Official on Instagram where you can watch out Fuck Blue Monday video because it's Blue Monday and we think Fuck Blue Monday. And you you can join in the conversation there. I'll tell you now that there's an appearance from an iconic boy band member. Who could it be? The perfect pick-me-up if you're having a little bit of a rubbish one. Can't wait to chat there after the show. For now, though, here we go. Let's chat to Tom.
Hello, Tom O'Dell. Hello, how are you doing? I'm really good. It's so nice to see you. I can't think the last time I saw you in the flesh. Possibly the last time we did this podcast. That is depressing. Yeah, it was just before, like, was it 2019? Yeah. I think it was in the summer, wasn't it? It was. It was probably At your house? At my house, I know. Mad. A lot has happened since then. To both the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. We haven't got time for that, I'm yeah. afraid. But in your world, you've very recently got married. Yes, that's right. Yeah, got married two and a half weeks ago. Wow, so fresh. How was it? It was, you know, I, I think I wrote this to you in a message, didn't I? Um, it was like a few of my friends, My actually one of my best friends, Max, had said to me for years, he was like, my wedding day, the best day of my life. And I honestly was always like slightly unsure whether that would be the same for me, not out of any like lack of love or excitement even. I was so excited for my wedding day. But it genuinely was like in every way, greatest day ever, like from start to finish. And um, it started with, I stayed in a hotel in central London with my best men it was obviously winter and the sun was it was just clear blue sky and I ran along the south bank like almost like skipping along the south bank (laughs) (laughs) it was like but just it was just so magical and um Georgie my now wife just looked unbelievably beautiful and happy and when she walked into the church with her dad there was light shining behind her it was like something from a dream it was extraordinary how beautiful is that yeah it's so funny the pressure that you have before a wedding because I remember the same everyone saying it's gonna be the best day of your life and you almost want to rebel against that and go well it'll be okay I'm sure it'll be fine but it is I think it is that amazing alchemy of having Everyone that you love, that you've chosen to have yes, in one space, yeah. yeah, it's quite an unusual thing that doesn't necessarily happen often. I guess the other time it might happen is at your funeral. Yeah, it, it's that. That's what I kept thinking. It's mm. like I don't know if this will ever happen again. And also, maybe I'm at that point in my life, or we're at that point in life. You know, I'm, I'm 33. It's like you know, my parents are still alive, and all my aunts and uncles. You know, sadly not my grandparents, but, you know, it's just, it's extraordinary. It's just like unbelievable. And I just had a beaming smile on my face all day. Oh, it's so lovely. And the next day. And the next day. And the next day, the next day was like, we did this little pub thing. And then we got home and we sat on the sofa and started looking at like some photos that were getting sent to us. And... I mean, Georgie just cries the whole time. and She's she's just a crier. Um, she'll cry, you know, just a, a picture of an animal, you know, on Instagram. We're going to get on well, me and yes, Georgie. Yeah. This is like me. Um, but she, uh, you know, we then just sat on the sofa and, and I cry a bit, but I'm not that much of a crier. And we cried for like three hours, mm. just like processing it all and um, looking back at photos and, I think I'm, it was like, I don't think I've ever felt quite so sort of tender than that Sunday, actually, the day after. It's so beautiful because I think you also notice on the day, having all those loved ones there, 
that there is so much it's a cliche but it's so much love in the room there's love for yeah. you as a couple there's people genuinely want to celebrate that love and that union and it's so overwhelming to yeah. acknowledge you do need to process it you're right yeah it's it's amazing when we last spoke in 2019 you yeah. had been through a pretty rough period mm. and i really appreciated you sharing your thoughts and your experiences through your period of anxiety that yeah. I very much, well, still do go through myself mm. quite frequently. Mm. Yours was so bad at one point that you were hospitalised and mm. you talked about this back in the first episode when you yeah. came on Happy Place. Where are you at with it today? How how have you navigated it? Um, the uh, difficult almost to talk about because it's been such a long period of time since then. Um Definitely, probably better than I was then in 2019. I get less physical panic attacks than I did then. I actually don't really get them at all now, in fact. Um, sort of the heart stuff and the sort of, you know, the real intense kind of panic attack thing. But by no means have I cured myself of, of you know, any of the you know, learn to live with it rather than, um, I still get quite, well, I still, you know, suffer, but the, but I'm, I guess what was wonderful about doing that podcast is, is actually just talking about it. And it was then that I started writing about it in my music. That was the first time I'd ever spoken about it in or, or publicly with anyone. And, um, actually kind of probably, even spoken about it that much beyond even publicly like I wasn't I didn't at all have any of the language or tool to be able to talk about it even with my friends and since then I guess the most significant change is that I talk about it the whole time with lots of people and and I didn't I didn't think I had therapy then either so um and now I do and I have for a while um and that's helped lots as well. How do you think you've tackled the physical side of it? Because it's really hard mm. when there's that physical manifestation. Sometimes when there's a mental block, we can use quite specific tools to you know, rewire the neural pathways. When yeah. it's physical, like that's something that I still really struggle with is mm. being able to stop when I can feel that awful sensation coming over me where I feel like I'm going to faint and my yeah. heart's racing. And I still can't override it logically. Mm. I still feel like wildly out of control. What has helped you in terms of that? My honest answer to that is that I think it got so bad that I, I just learned, like I, there was a point when I was getting panic attacks, physical panic attacks, like three times a day. And I was, actually that was after that podcast. Really? Yeah, that was when I went to live, I tried to go and live in LA. Fuck knows why. <laughs> Um, yeah, I've got bad anxiety. I'm going to go to the most anxiety-inducing <laughs> place ever. Yeah, it was a very odd time, and I'd say in a way, it was like the apex or the the epitome of of you know when it got really bad, and I was sort of living in this weird little house, not that dissimilar 
in size from this house, this building here. <laughs> My weird little studio. <laughs> no, but the, the, no, that sounds really critical. It wasn't like, but it was like kind of in someone's garden. It right, was like re- it right, was really right. weird. Yeah. Um, Did they have a cat called Simon? No, no in, this is infinitely more homely <laughs> and lovely and happy. Uh, and um, it was a very strange little place. Um, I and I was spending lots of time on my own. That was not a good time. That that was where it got really really bad. And that was sort of when I, I then ended up like, I'd sit on the beach, uh, which sounds like a lovely thing to do. But um, every morning, look at the planes taking off from LAX and just long to be on one. Um, but then when I got home, you know, because I was, I thought I'd be cured. And it sort of carried on. That's where it got really, really bad. And um, I was going to, I got prescribed some drugs to take and I didn't take them. But weirdly getting prescribed them was like the beginning of like the good times. (laughs) How interesting. Maybe just because your brain realised there were solutions. Yeah. I think I just was like, right, I think I've really got to stop working and take some time here. And I did. And it was... um, it was, yeah, it was good. But that would, yeah, it's weird, like, talking about that time because it was, it was a bit brutal. It was, like, I think it was, I mean, it's quite common, I think, end of your 20s, like, beginning, I was, I guess I was 28, but I was sort of just, it was just bad. <laughs> it was just bad. I think also <laughs> it's not uncommon for people who have a public-facing job yeah. to experience these things. I was literally last night watching the Ronnie O'Sullivan documentary, which yeah. is excellent if you haven't seen it. And to see him sort of battling with that anxiety, even though he is the best in the world and by yeah. far the most trophied yeah. sneak player out there, yeah. he he has this terrible anxiety if he's approaching the World Championships. Yeah. And he's sort of living with that. And I think it is that notion of all eyes on you, the pressure, the fact that you've got to perform. Yeah. It's not uncommon. And I think, you know, that is the anxiety that most people in the public eye sort of deal with, having that critical outside voice and commentary constantly. How do you deal with that now? Well, I think it's like it's I've I've only just realised how uncomfortable I am in it. I think for years... I've just sort of accepted the discomfort and not really acknowledged it as discomfort. But I think these days I really, you know, I've come to terms with the fact that the attention that my job brings, I don't love. Like, I I don't like, I don't think I've ever liked it. And I guess there's a sort of, it wasn't, it's never been, I think, like my character, a part of my character to, to want all that attention. And so I think I, over the years I've dealt with it in different ways and I think on the flip side though I also love performing and I absolutely adore it and and I love writing songs and it's this weird sort of like like obsession with that and at times like rather than my music help me I think it's also not I'm very obsessive with with music and and like um, I'm very obsessive with my thoughts as well. So I think that the, there's a there's a kind of um, I mean I'm not talking with much clarity here, but I think that all the three are sort of intertwined. Like um, so, a lot of it I think 
was to do with my work and just like not being able to let go of things. Like I hate the term perfectionist because I feel like it's so often thrown around and I think people use it as kind of like a compliment often or, or, or a good quality. But I think it can be when you're slightly obsessive character, it can be really quite torturous. And like, I, you know, I've had moments which I look back on where like at the end of finishing an album, you know, the mixing process, I'll like, I'll kind of lose my mind slightly and I'll, you know, be like punching myself and doing weird things, which I shouldn't, shouldn't be doing, you know, because I can't, I'll be on like mix 78 and I've changed one thing sort of 78 times, just, you know, flicking from A to B to A to B to A to B. And it's just like being able to just let go of it. It's, it's, um, I get it. Yeah, kind of madness. Well, it's, again, I, I was when I was watching this Ronnie O'Sullivan documentary, I keep going back to snooker. I don't even know anything about snooker, but I mm. found it fascinating. He's been on the podcast, but this was like a... He's amazing. ...in-depth look, yeah. in-depth look. And he was talking about exactly this process and the um, tendency to beat yourself up and be yeah. so unkind to yourself. And it, I had yeah. to actually pause it because I was like, everything he's saying rings so true. Right, and although... Yeah. I've tried all different types of therapy and I'm still really willing to mm. do the work and also I'm yeah. learning doing all this happy play stuff all the time. I know that that is still one of my absolute weak spots is that yeah. I am so hard on myself. I could walk away from an episode of this and critique yeah. everything I've said or didn't yeah. say. Or if I'm writing, like when you're mixing the album, I'm being mm. so unbelievably picky yeah. and sort of beating myself up with the process. Is that something that you feel you need to change? I think it's like, a, I, I guess it's so hard, isn't it? Because the things that make you who you are and make you maybe good at one thing also maybe the thing that makes you like tortured, tortured or not so good at yeah. life or, you know, vice versa. I think so it's so difficult to, to sort of just remove a character trait fr from yourself because um, it also might be being re rewarded and and that's the thing I think so many of the things that make me not sleep well and at times probably you know not a particularly calm or happy person I think are also the qualities that you know mean that I finish albums and I you know go on tour and I make sure that we're good <laughs> and, yeah and you write very honest songs which i think lends itself to those emotions yeah that's a that's something that is um yeah i've always done i think and i feel more and more i've come to understand that the piano is like when i sit down at the piano i'm just like i feel very tender and very compassionate and i feel like i'm able to feel emotions like so much more acutely and like I just feel so like last night I did a thing with this charity called the choir of no name. And it's about um, rather than just helping homeless people with, I don't know, food or shelter, they also get them in and get them to sing in a choir. And it's very sort of innocent and simple. And um, I didn't know that much about it other than I, like I wanted to be involved. And we did this gig last night at Cadogan hall and they, I mean, I just don't want to sound like over the top, but it was just like singing with them. It's like just so beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful things I've done this year. 
and they're the happiest people and they totally inspired me and but when I was singing I just you know it's like tears coming out of my eyes it's like but I wouldn't be able to feel feel that I don't think without the music it's it's something about I feel things so much more acutely when I'm at at the or more um too much in a way um and I think that's why I'm sort of more able to be honest even as I'm talking now I'm like what the fuck am I talking about (laughs) (laughs) I'm like you're saying lots of very good things no but I just like I I can be more I can see things with more clarity when I'm doing it at the piano than I can which is pure magic and why I'm such a music fan and why I love listening to your songs you sense that you sense that there is this ease that you know what you need to say in a song which is such a skill and it's obviously very natural to you and innate to your skill set yeah, I'd say it is m- more... I mean, I've worked at it very hard, but it is more... Na- it's a more natural place for me to be in. <clears throat> but that's also a bit messed up because if the stage is a more natural place for you, you know, to, to be, then it is in, like, the pub afterwards. You know, like, things are more ordered. I know where everything is in that way in when I'm working when I'm in the studio or when I'm on stage it's like I understand the way the world in a way that I don't think I understand it out of that environment I get it um, like I'm asking people that I don't know sometimes at all such deep questions on this podcast mm. and they're questions I haven't even asked my own dad yeah it's yeah. a strange thing when there's yeah. the the order of work and you understand that there's some sort of system at play yeah. and then outside it's all chaotic and nothing yeah. makes sense and there's no rules and yeah yeah I totally hear what you're saying there. I I read recently that you have stopped performing in your real life and I mean that in the sense <laughs> of like not with a piano. I mean in terms of we're all performative to an extent. Yeah. We want people to see there are best sides and we mm. want people to feel comfortable so we keep talking or whatever it might be but you've tried to have an awareness around that recently I try yeah but I think it's so entrenched in I think because I started performing when I was like 13 14 and you know probably younger in a way like I remember the first time I wrote a song you know I was like seven and what was it called it didn't really have a title it was like uh something about the stars and I think I wrote I was like I, I was like I love you but it was like probably about my mom I sort of love my mom oh, cute. um but the you know my parents was very impressed by that and I think that stayed with me you know that sort of like oh I do this and people are really impressed by it like oh and I, and I think yeah there is a performative I think any anyone that gets up on stage and and spends enough time you know schlepping around the country you know trying to be a performer there's going to be a it's going to come off stage as well isn't it it's 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 very difficult to segregate that but yeah and also I guess you then end up sort of having this sense that people have an expectation of who you should be when mm. you're in a social setting. Oh, he's the guy on stage with the piano. Like he's super confident and yeah. that you have to turn up with a certain face on and acting in a certain yeah. way. But I think I also, it's funny because I guess this goes back to the other thing. I think sometimes like I'm like, although there's a sadness to it, it's like, you know, 
I'm more comfortable sometimes in that role, like of being like Tom the performer, than I am just Tom the person. <laughs> like you know, like everyone wins. Yeah. <laughs> like, but it, but that's not to say it's right, and and it's not to say that it's good for me. And actually, like you know, it's interesting. I mean, I guess these conversations are probably like every performer has it. You know, and I guess it's a role to play. Um, but you must get it as well. Like, yeah. Oh my god. Uh, honestly, I. It, it's been one of my. More, more I'm intrigued by it. I'm yeah. intrigued by. It. I've just. Ri- well, literally, probably after we finish this podcast, I'm going to finish editing this fiction that I've been working on for about two years, mm. and it is very much based on this topic that even within a family, even if you're not a performer, mm. you fit into a role of you're the people-pleasing one or you're yeah. the one that causes a bit of drama or you're one that yeah. always gets your own way. And it's kind of set in stone really early on, but it ends up filtering into adult life. Yeah. And I'm really fascinated about those roles and when we start to break them, what happens and how other people react when yeah. you start showing up just as yourself or trying to figure out who you are because that's a whole other bag of onions yeah. like who am I without the piano who am I yeah. not on the stage yeah definitely yeah it's yeah we become sort of calcified in these characters yeah 100% um but yeah I'm I'm also I always I always have this person in my head going like stop complaining as well like like <laughs> it's like I've, I also feel very lucky to do it and I love it as well like uh, but do you know what? I think it's so healthy to talk about everything in a full spectrum way like yeah, yeah we all know that it must feel amazing to sit at a piano and play mm. in front of thousands of people and for them to be singing your words back that is yeah. a given but I think if we just put those sorts of jobs on a pedestal and go, these are the only ones that count because they're so special and you only feel amazing yeah. doing them. It's just doing a disservice to everything else because there's there's always going to be problems. There's always going to be yeah. difficult areas, challenges, you know. Otherwise, we've seen so many countless people who are so successful or incredibly famous take their own lives mm. as a big extreme mm. so we know that the facts aren't straight you know there has to be more complexity to yeah. having a public facing role or being a performer and having those expectations or having perfectionism I think it's really healthy to talk about I know what you mean because I often think I should only focus on the positives and talk yeah. about them but I think it's actually very healthy to dig into all areas and mm. be honest about it well, one one of the like great privileges and like most amazing things about my position is that since I've started being more open with how I feel and also even more open in my songs, like there's this amazing community of people that come to my shows and that you know contact me online and like there's a such a connectedness I feel with them through our sort of brokenness and it's so extraordinary and and like it's sort of I can't you know it's really like a more recent thing that I feel like that community's happened and it's so I mean I know you must have it as well I know you have it with with everything you're doing it's 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 extraordinary and also can I just say you're because I'm quite like positive about social media like I I know that there's so many things wrong with it and there's so much, I mean, we could go on and on about all the terrible things, but also there's so much good. There's like a bunch of your 
posts that I have saved on my notes oh, that what? like about like compassion and stuff or self-compassion. Um, I mean, I can literally tell you. Which that one. is so like, lovely um, to hear that, Tom. I can't tell you because sometimes you do think, no, I, I agree. I like social media because of the connectivity. And I also think like you're saying with your music, you can connect through sort of struggling and pain maybe more easily than yeah something that's just sort of happier and more banal. Um, but I mean, I mean, I've literally got like five, <laughs> but like, I, you know, and I, I, it, it's, there is so much good that it also does. I think I agree. And, and, and it, it, you know, it makes us all feel slightly less alone. And um, it's certainly done a lot of good to me at times. I think um, when we assume that everyone else is just coping, yeah. that's a very lonely place to be. Yeah. And it's also really dangerous because then you're not going to act authentically in yeah. terms of, you know, what your set of values are and what you actually want for yourself if we're constantly, and we're, we're all constantly looking at other people now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, I've got to talk about your new music because I've heard a few tracks from your new album now. And again, it's just utterly beautiful. I love that oh, you've thanks. got that really... Um, sort of underproduced sound in the best mm. possible way. It mm. feels very raw and like you've just sat at the piano and it's all poured mm. out of you. It's really gorgeous. Black Friday is a song that you wrote on your birthday, which was a year ago. A year yeah. ago. It was yeah. the day before Black Friday. Yes. What thoughts came up on that particular day and why? <laughs> that, yeah, I mean, that was like not uh, a great few weeks. Um, I don't know... I can't particularly say why, but like, but it wasn't so great. I think it's, I, I'm so like um, reticent to like give periods or like, I'm so reticent to say like I'm a depressive or like, I, I, I don't know why I'm reticent to say that, but I, I guess like I went through a period where it was a bit like, I was a bit low and I felt a bit withdrawn and that's where that song came from and I think it's like a mixture of feeling like looking at those around me in my life looking at Georgie and just having this unbelievable sense of adoration and admiration um and but then looking inwards and going and having the sort of opposite feeling towards myself and I think that's where that song ultimately stemmed from I don't like I'm really proud of that song though because I think it's really um it's really like real it's it's a real feeling and um you know you always try and make real feelings and real songs but sometimes for whatever reason it's difficult to get it to land you know and I think with that one it does land really well and it was a real feeling at a real time and it came from not feeling particularly good which is always a a silver lining 
Exactly. That's what I think about when I'm having a shit period. Like, oh, I think there's a book in this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or at least a podcast episode. Yeah. Uh, but it's great to be able to channel it and move through yeah. those feelings. And I'm wondering yeah. if after you've written a song like that, where you talk about your proclivity to being mean to yourself, if you've mm. actually, if you can step back and see it with a fresh set of eyes and go, why am I doing this? Because, you know, we all do it. There's, I think there's a single person out there listening to this yeah. who hasn't at some point, if not, like I do it sometimes all day, every day, mm. pick holes in parts of my personality or myself yeah. or my work ethic or whatever it is I'm trying to achieve. We're so awful to ourselves. Yes, yeah. But once you've got it, ink on page or you're hearing it back as a song does that give you a bit of distance to go wait what why am I actually doing this I think so yeah I think it's 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 very I think it 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 forces me to face it rather than to run and I think there's always a tendency to run rather than to turn and face it and I think that if that's very helpful it does definitely doesn't feel like it's helping at the time but, no. but 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 I think it does help, and weirdly, it's months later when I sing it that I feel a weird amount of compassion for myself because I get a perspective. I'm like, fucking hell, well, you know, you were really in a in a bunk then. Yeah, it's quite. It's yeah, it's quite sort of. Um, there's a line in that song that's like, I look in the mirror, what is happening to me, and that like weirdly of all the lines just sort of gets me because I'm like ah oh, I just like I remember that like I remember that sort of being in the back of a taxi and sort of you know you're sort of you haven't slept and your mind is running at a million miles an hour and everything feels dark around you and you catch a a glimpse of yourself and it's almost like you haven't caught a glimpse of yourself for a while it's you because you may have looked in the mirror, but you've seen everything else but yourself. And I think there's always a tragedy in, in that moment. Or there's a, when you go, oh, it's you, it's you, it's me. Or I don't know, it's 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 this horrible, but also moment of perhaps compassion where you, you, you sort of ask yourself, how did, how did you, you know, what are you doing or how did you get here? You know, it's like, I don't know. I think we've all had that, I think. Yeah, of course. Um, and God, especially in, you know, your job, you're, if you're constantly touring, travelling from city to city or country yeah. to country, you don't stop. You no. don't get that time to pause and actually go, wait a minute, am I enjoying this? How do I feel? Yeah. yeah. I mean, knowing that you've got a tour coming up, Yes. how do you create a level of balance where you don't end up in that place where you're racing, racing, racing and not actually stopping to take stock? Um, make loads of plans and then achieve none of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I guess... Um, I mean, I do lots of like exercise and stuff that I run. Uh, sometimes I don't stop running and like, what the hell am I doing so far from home? <laughs> I will get home now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I sort of, what do I do? Um, I write, you know, like I write lots. I well, find, you journal before gigs, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And I find that really really is like really helpful and I, I like writing it's just like always I don't know what it removes but it removes something I mean it helps in some way oh yeah it's we had weird. um Julia Cameron on yeah who 
wrote The Artist Way. Oh, I love and, that book. A great book. Yeah. And, you know, her thing is the morning pages. You yeah, get up and yeah, you... Beautiful. And I was in... So, after that podcast, I was in such a good habit of doing that all the time. Yeah. I've obviously fallen off the wagon. Why and do is, we fall off the why? wagon? Why? Yeah. I know it works for me. Yeah. After we've had this chat, I'm going to set myself a goal from tomorrow. The morning pages are back. It yeah. works. It does work. It does work. It's so difficult to keep those practices. I have so much admiration for people that manage to to do all that stuff and 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 keep it going because I'm not great at keeping stuff going. Um, I quite I think I get into like fads and then I do them for a bit and then you know I it's, I seek salvation in them for three weeks. <laughs> it, it's solved all my yeah, problems. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm cured. Yeah, and you're telling everyone you must do the morning. You yes. must do your journaling, yeah. and then you stop doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I used to, for a while, I used to carry around that book by Eckhart Tolle. Um, Power of Now? Yeah. Lovely book. Yeah, I, even just having it close to me, Yeah, it would be like, wow. I mm. feel, it's really powerful, that book. And I like, um, there's another chap as well I like who's similar to that. Um, oh, what's it called? Um, Joe Dispenza? Well, I'm no. looking at my bookshelf now. Who else it could be? But yeah, I'm sure you probably got it. Uh, it's something about the soul, untethered soul. Oh, Michael Singer. Michael Singer. <sighs> Yeah, great guy. Similar vibe. Similar vibe, but but really helpful. Um, yeah, I really like. But I find all reading to me also helps. Like, like I try and like every morning rather than read the news, which you know just fills you with anxiety. Um, I try and read like some fiction, you know, just for like ten minutes while you're having a coffee or whatever. You know, that I, I like. I'm reading a Cormac McCarthy book at the moment, and I read that for 10 minutes and I find it just rather than putting you into the the sort of caffeinated kind of slightly neurotic world which is the news yep. <laughs> it, it it puts you into a a, a a a fantasy or you know or some you know it, Cormac McCarthy it puts me into the Midwest in, in 1945 or whatever what a great place to be <laughs> why yeah. not it's um so it's like um you know, I like being there. Yeah. Um, it's nice to be somewhere other than, you know, here. That's why I read before bed because I can only sleep if yes. I've read yeah. something that takes me out of my own head, yeah. basically, my own weird thoughts. Yeah. Or, the, the, or sometimes me and Georgie watch, we love watching animal shows. Oh, yeah. Like, like Planet Earth. Yeah, all that. Or we just watched a new one, which was like, um, it's had, um, God, I, I forget everything. The guy... He's American, Morgan Freeman. Oh, yeah. Rex is watching that at the moment. Oh, he with, loves it. And they're like all the animals that went extinct. Incredible. Oh, my Lord. We got through it in like three nights. It's like so good. Like the whole series. Um, and they've created these animals out of AI or I don't know, artificially. But it's like so good. And really like take, that takes you to another world. Yeah. It's yeah. great. We've got to get out of our heads. We yeah. have to get out of our heads. Yeah. The other thing I'm imagining is tricky to navigate being a musician today mm. versus when you first came on the scene and I mm. met you for the first time and you came in the live lounge. Mm. Even since then, the music industry has changed. Yes. Almost at times unrecognizably. Yeah. The thing that seems really prevalent now is this crazy focus on numbers stats yeah, yeah. how many views on tiktok yeah, how many yeah, yeah. billions of streams that's have you true, had yeah. you know before it was like yeah that you'd want to chart well it'd be like in the charts yeah. and you'd want to sell out a tour but there's this real obsession now with stats and numbers and it having meaning you know 
at the end of the year, how many billions of streams each artist and song yeah. had. How do you not get caught up in that? Or do you get caught up in it? Um, no, I do get caught up in it. I think maybe the, you know, I've always managed to, to some degree, I somehow I've always managed to separate my like artistic endeavor and like the business of it. Um, I'm not like the business of it is important, but it's definitely not the reason I do it. And it's never been the reason I do it. Like, um, you know, I, I have to, to remain successful enough to be able to keep going but you know my career has gone up and down and like there's been periods which you know all you everyone wants to be a friend uh, you know in, in the music world and then there's periods where like people are slightly less interested and you know and you know it comes back again and I and I think the the important thing is to be able to like not put your self-worth in that and it's hard very hard and i've seen some awful tragedies in that in the music business of just people being chewed up and sort of spat out and just it's very merciless 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 how do you say that word yeah you said it merciless. nailed it <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, uh i but uh, yeah so i don't know but i think i managed to to separate it probably not as much as i'm sounding like i do though well, i probably do one, still yeah like you've got you know your album's out very very soon yeah how much pressure do you feel that it has to deliver whether that's pressure from your management team yeah the record label family having opinions how yeah. much does that affect you well i used to be on sony right and when i was on sony they always kept me in a state of like you are unsuccessful like that was just the the sort of base level sort of vibe with everything was like that that I mean that is just their modus operandi like that's to keep you supposedly motivated I don't know I think they all themselves live in that so it's it's there's a feeling of doing things out of fear rather than sort of we must do this because otherwise we will fail rather than we must do this because we 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 could win you know, and we could create something so beautiful. And and so my time there at the start on Sony was really good. And then the sort of second half of it was very unpleasant. And it got, you know, and I I, I don't want to, I don't want it to dominate our conversation because I it's just such a sort of age old story of like the artist leaving the major label. And, but it wasn't nice and they, they didn't make me feel particularly good. And maybe... There is, you know, it's not such a coincidence that, you know, when I saw you in 2019 and I was going through that, that was really at like the worst point of my relationship with them. And I think I felt very lost in my career. Like I didn't know like what the future held. And I, and I, I didn't really feel like any of, you know, the people that I was working with were that bothered by. It was just, so anyway, but fortunately, I managed to get out of that, and I'm I work with a very small team now, and it's 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 much more independent, and like I love every member of the team I work with, and you know, a lot of them I've worked with for over a decade, and we've been through a lot, and you know, 
I do more now in, is in that there's less, slightly less delegation in, in terms of like, I don't have a massive label working for me. So we, but I take that because I just feel that everything I'm doing, I'm doing with total integrity. I want to put everything out that we put out and I put such great care and detail into everything we do. And for that reason, I think my relationship, with my fans as, as, or the people that listen to my music is deepened. And I feel like, you know, I've never felt closer to them in that in that way. So, yeah. And also, I guess it's so interesting because, again, another big change in the music industry is TikTok. Yeah. Whether you like it or don't like it, I'm sort of, I don't know, confused by the whole thing. Yeah. I'm probably that bit older and don't really know how it all works. But obviously, I'm songs, <laughs> but they have, like, they take off and have a life of their own outside yeah. of you. So yeah. your music has had huge success on TikTok and been right. viral on certain videos and given you a whole new audience that might have not been there when you started out. That must yeah. feel quite liberating to know that your songs are standing the test of time and are testament mm. to how good you are. Because you're not out there on the promo trail, please listen to my back catalogue. These songs are just whizzing off on their own. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, like, I, yeah, I'm I'm not going to... Yeah, it's been really great. It's been so lovely. And this whole, like, new generation of people have discovered the songs of which, you know, came out, a, a few of them came out when they would have been very young. So it's like... It's it's really lovely, um, and I think in a way it's given me a creative freedom that has meant that not that I didn't have it before, but there was always a battle to get music out. Like it, I always managed to get it out, but I always remember this one song called "Streets of Heaven," which I, you know, it's not a su- successful song, but it's a song that came out on my fourth album, um, Monsters and Columbia, Sony, they they sort of almost refused to put it out. It's quite a delicate subject. It's about, um, I wrote it with my, a friend of mine, American friend about, about school shooting. And it, it was something, a song that we're, you know, the writers were very proud of. We, we put a lot of care and attention into the words and like, it's a very delicate subject matter, obviously. And it deals with, something very politically kind of divisive. And Sony kind of were like, we're not putting that out. Like, you're not that artist. You don't, you're not the a serious enough artist to, to be able to do that. And it's funny because like, for, like I wanted to make this, op- this animation to it and it's something that I really cared about. And so basically like after, once I left, I then like, spent a year looking for this animator and eventually it came out early this year and I can't tell you like how much of a victory that felt like of just like being told you can't do something told you can't do something and then you you know and I know it's a sort of sub story but like um it's so great right now to just feel like I just have this free channel to be able to just put music out and people are going to listen to it and yeah, it's absolutely incredible. I love it. That's why you got into it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You get to go back to basics almost, like what floats my boat. Yeah. Yeah. But the music industry, yeah, is, is I can't believe I've managed to survive it for 10 or 11 years or whatever. And it is, it's all the sort of horror stories and cliches. They're all... They're all true. They're all true. They are. It's mad. <laughs> it's mad. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the, people do, you know, the, 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 it's full of sort of you know, reprobates and, and people trying to rip other people off and, 
you know, it's bloody, bloody nightmare. <laughs> it's, it is, though. It's a bloody nightmare. It's a bloody nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> we need to put that on a T-shirt. Yeah. Um, well, I am, I'm thrilled that you're in this amazing creative space. Thank you. You've got this new record coming out, which is just sublime. What I've heard of it, I can't wait to hear the full thing. And I'm just glad to see you in a really good place. Oh, it's, thank you. It's a beautiful thing. Thank you so I'm much, I'm glad Tom. to see you in, in this happy place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Tom, thank you for that chat. And just being a bloody great human being. It's so lovely. I just love how articulate Tom is and how thoughtful. I love the fact that any question asked really led to some proper rumination and real digging deep honesty. I love that. So that chat we recorded a couple of weeks ago. Have I done my morning pages like I promised? Yes, I have. And partly because my dear friend, Rongan Chatterjee, sent me his beautiful new diary and I've been using it and I'm I'm back into it. So Tom was the catalyst for that. Thank you, Tom. Anyway, if you want to see Tom live, which you should. Oh, my God. His voice live, his piano skills. He's playing a huge headline gig at Alexandra Palace on July the 19th. And new dates have been announced in Halifax and Dublin too. And you can stream his brilliant, brilliant new album, Black Friday, from January the 26th. Is perfectionism something you struggle with? Come and carry on chatting about this over on Instagram, at happyplaceofficial. It's a big subject we need to dive in. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalised card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com in and also if you like me watch the ronnie o'sullivan documentary over the festive period it's so brilliant then you must listen to our happy place episode with him last year too it was such a brilliant one all right a huge thank you to tom to the producer anushka tate at rethink audio and to you chat soon lovelies 